All right, please have a seat. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord today. It's been a, a tough week for many of us, but there's no place that is better to be than surrounded by God's people in God's presence. And so thanks for joining us this morning. If you're a guest or a visitor, my name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at South. And again, I'm just thankful that you're here with us. We are in the middle, literally the middle of a a 90-day reading plan that goes through all four Gospels. And the way that I know that we're in the middle is because we hit day 45, and so that helps me out. So we've read through all of Matthew and all of Mark, and now we're jumping into Luke. And you'll notice this week as we jump into Luke that there are a few more videos that go along with our reading, and I hope you find those to be encouraging and, and that they help you understand a little bit more of the background of the story And I hope you keep reading with us, one chapter a day, and that that's been good for you. Now, as part of the reading plan, our sermon series are are going along and and matching up with that. And and so at the beginning of the year, we looked at all the times in which, well, not all the times, we looked at times in the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus calls his followers to do something, and we learned about what followers should be doing, right, about how followers give up things. And now because of the Great Commission, because the last, the final instructions Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven, recorded for us in Matthew 28, uh, because there Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Because of those instructions that Jesus gives his followers, uh, we believe that those instructions still apply to us today as well. And so we're looking at the times in which Jesus sends people out on a mission in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke. And today, we're going to be in Mark Chapter 5, looking at when Jesus did some incredible things for a man and then sent him out. So that's where we are. That's where we're going. Now, back in 2021, my wife, Jamie, got a new job, and I was so excited for her. I was so excited for her. I wanted to tell everybody, but the problem for me was that the news wasn't necessarily yet public. And so as much as I wanted to be proud of her among, you know, with my family and my friends and tell everybody how awesome she was, it wasn't my news to share yet and it had to be kept under wraps. But that good news, it was just, it, it wanted to come out of me. It was bursting out of me. It was like that news was burning a hole in my psyche. It couldn't wait to be shared. And good news is like that. It, it wants to be shared. And when I finally got to share that news with some friends and family, it was just a really fun moment to be proud of my wife and to, to experience that excitement. Now, if I had to guess, I would assume that you've had moments like that as well, moments in which the good news that you have about whatever it is wants to get out of you, it wants to be known. If you are married and you've got kids, those first few weeks after you find out you're pregnant and you really shouldn't tell anybody yet, but you know and it's like that, that news is burning and wants to get out. It wants to be known. It's good news. It's exciting. If you land a, a job change or you know, step up in your career, one of the first things people want to do is post it to social media and let the world know the good things that are happening to them. Sometimes, sometimes the good news that you're in the process of sharing, you realize mid-process that it's really not yours to share and that, that that news should have maybe come from somebody else. Have you ever been there? 
wanted to put those words back in your mouth and let somebody else have their moment. I, I, I have been there. And that's because good news wants to be shared, and we love sharing it. Updates about our life, exciting adventures or vacations we've been on, we'll, we'll assemble the family and show them pictures from our vacation, whether or not they're interested at all. We're excited about it, and we want to share, right? News that bores our friends, things that we experience that are good. Good news wants to be shared. You see this all over social media, people sharing the updates about their lives. And I believe it's the same way with faith. We have good news. God has done some incredible things for us, for this family of faith, for us individually. And that good news, it wants to be shared. It wants to get out. Sometimes we hesitate a little bit in that step of sharing it. And, and I wonder, you know, we talked about a few of these things last week. I wonder why that is. Is it because we're afraid of making ourselves or others feel uncomfortable? Well, maybe. Is it because we're not fully convinced of the story of the good news? Well, perhaps, or, or maybe we don't understand why the good news is actually good, or maybe it's just pure apathy. But for whatever reason, some of us hesitate from time to time, and still the good news about what God has done for you and for me it, it is, is incredible. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why the good news is so good this morning. And I believe this, no matter where you are in the sharing process, that disciples of Jesus, that includes us in this room, followers of Jesus are sent with good news, good news, good news to share. So Mark chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered around the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones." So here in Mark chapter 5, you've got this poor, tormented man who, like you and, and me, was created in the image of God. But like you and me, this is somebody who has felt the effects of evil and, and now is just twisted into an unrecognizable figure, distorted by evil. And in some ways, I think this man, he's kind of a microcosm of, of all creation. Romans 8, we don't have a whole lot of time to turn there today, but Romans 8, especially 19 through 23, tells us that all creation is subjected to God's curse. Why? Because of human sin. And so all creation is subjected to God's curse and is in this state of decay and death. And Romans 8.22 uses the word groaning to describe the state of creation as it waits desperately for God to restore. And so I wonder, in a world like that, where, where evil exists and, and where creation is twisted, why is the good news so good? Why is the good news good at all? Especially when you think about the state of our world today. I think it's this. I think the good news is good because, because the bad news is bad. And, and here's what I mean by that. When you think about our world, when you think about the state of the globe, you've got violence in Haiti, you've got 
situation in Ukraine, you've got violence elsewhere, you've got China and the Uyghurs, you've got all of this stuff on a global scale, but you don't have to go that far away from home to recognize this is true. The world is a dark and twisted place. I mean, we all just experienced that this week, right? So many of us are connected to or part of the, the MSU community, and, and to have an experience like we, we went through on Monday night is a vivid reminder of the problem of evil and pain and violence in our world. So the good news is so good because our world is so bad. The good news is so good because there's hope for a future, hope for, for a time when students don't have to receive a text that says, run, hide, fight. Hope for a future, a time in which all creation lives once again in harmony with, with humanity and in which we live in harmony with our creator. And that's good news. And I, I don't think I'm, I'm probably selling it enough this morning. And I'm not sure it needs to be sold. But know this, that on your darkest days, the most vivid and horrifying evil and darkness that you experience should be a, a vivid reminder that there's something good, something better, a hope, a future, someone that restores. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now here in chapter 5, for his part, this, this poor demon-possessed man, chapter 5, verse 4 tells us that no one was strong enough to subdue him. And you know that word subdue? It's probably better rendered, and maybe some other translations put it this way, it's better rendered, no one was able to tame him. And this word is a word almost never used in the New Testament for humans, and only used of wild animals. Because the, the evil in this man had so twisted him, so far that he was barely human anymore, and no one was able to tame him. Verse 6 continues the story. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. You know, you and I often have trouble recognizing the divine in our world, recognizing God's power and action taking place all around us. And, and the thing is, we're not alone. Jesus' disciples, they spent time with Jesus, and they still had trouble recognizing God's power. In chapter 4 of Mark, the, the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the boat, and a huge storm happens, and they're terrified, frightened out of their, their wits, and they wake Jesus up, and he says, peace be still, and the, the wind and the waves, they calm down, and they stop, and the disciples, how do they react? They react with awe, like they're surprised that, that Jesus, God's son, calmed the wind and the waves. They say in verse 41 of chapter 4, who is this man? They ask each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Verse 41 also tells us the disciples were absolutely terrified. They had trouble recognizing the divine God's power in their lives, even when he was right there with them. But in contrast to you and to me and to the disciples, man, evil spirits in Scripture, they always know who they're talking to. They immediately recognize Jesus as God's son and understand his authority. And it kind of reminds me of a, of 
a letter that Jesus' brother James wrote. The Gospel of James, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. When James makes the case that, hey, belief just by itself, belief is not enough. Verse 19, you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Hey, cognitive assent, recognizing and agreeing that there is a God and that even that he is authority over all things is not enough. The demons here in Mark chapter 5 obviously understood that fact and they were terrified. Let's continue on in the story. Verse 9, Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some place distant. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into the pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran, and people rushed out to see what had happened. Now, there's frankly a lot to talk about in here that we don't have time to discuss. There's the significance of the pigs in this region, and there's the power that Jesus displayed in casting out these demons without resorting to the so-called techniques of his day. There's even the response of the, the townsmen as, or as the herdsmen as they fled. But I want to keep going because the next few verses have something to say to us about the mission that God has, has given us. Verse 15, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. You've got this wild, feral man now sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him like a, a student would learn from their rabbi, and the people were frightened out of their minds. What incredible good news for this guy. Can you imagine, after living the way that he had lived, cut off from all community, apart in pain, distraught and agony, now he was restored to his right mind, the demons had been cast out, the feelings of of completeness, the feeling of, of everything being right, the feeling of being in God's presence had to be overwhelming for this guy. It was incredibly good news, and yet the herdsmen... The townspeople, people who came, were terrified and began pleading for Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. You know, an appropriate reaction to this would have been joy and and praising God, and, and yet for them to be frightened and want Jesus to leave, man, that, that feels like a bit of a parallel to our world today. Because you and I know the good news about Jesus and we've experienced God's power in our lives. But what's such good news for us, so good and so real and so powerful, can, can honestly often cause distress for those around us. 
And as God works to change your heart and change your life, man, others are going to notice. And they're going to have questions and you're going to have opportunities to respond. And not everyone is going to, to hear your story with gladness. In fact, some of them might have questions. What's this church thing that you're involved in? Isn't that kind of culty? Why are you spending so much of your time with these people? Are they controlling you in some way? Why are you giving all your money to this church? Shouldn't you think about the future? You know, you and I, we've got good news to share, but not everyone is ready to hear God's good news as good news. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And I I want to just stop here for a minute because I find this to be fascinating. Jesus receives four requests in this story. One is the man with the demons comes up and says, don't send my demons too far away. The second is the demons say, send us into the pigs. The third is the townspeople say, Jesus, please get out of here and leave us alone. We're terrified. And the fourth is this man begging to go with Jesus. And of all of those, of those four requests, which is the one that Jesus denies? It's this man's. And initially, I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? The best possible place for this guy to be was in your presence, learning from you, experiencing that wholeness. Probably the safest place for him to be was with you. That's my perspective. But obviously, Jesus thought different, and he sent him on a mission. Verse 19, Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So this man gets sent away and he's given a specific mission. Go tell what God has done for you and how merciful he has been to you. And in some ways, I think basically what this man is being asked to do is to give glory to God, to glorify God. And you know that phrase, glory, glorify God. It's something that we pray here, something that I pray will happen in this congregation. It's something that we sing, glory to God forever. But it's something that maybe we don't always understand entirely. What does it mean to bring glory to God? And now perhaps it's a, a bigger discussion than we have time for today. But I, I think at its, at its basic, bringing glory to God is is simply telling the truth about who God is and what God has done. It's as, as simple as that. And, and this man, for his part, he goes to the regions, and, or to the ten towns of, of that region, and he, and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. God's name became great because this man had shared his news. He brought glory to God. And so glorifying God isn't just some vague religious term. It's not something we say that's devoid of meaning. It's, it's recognizing the truth about God and speaking that truth. It's giving proper attribution for the work of God in your life, giving credit where credit is due. And when you do, others are going to hear the good news. Now, like I mentioned earlier, our, our series right now is called Go, and we're looking at these moments when Jesus tells people to go and sends them on a mission, and for his part, this man got a mission. No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you. 
That's the mission that Jesus gave this man. The mission that we have is similar from Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. I believe that you and I share a similar responsibility to this man, to go to our friends and our families, our our social circles, and share the good news. And I believe this, that just like this man had incredible news, and just like the disciples of Jesus were sent with good news, that we all, as disciples of Jesus, are sent with good news to share. We're sent with good news to share, and it wants to be shared. Now, you and I have this responsibility, and we talked about this last week, that we're sent with good news to share. And Maybe that sounds intimidating to you. Maybe you're not sure where to begin, but, you know, I, I've got to tell you, I think, I think we work ourselves up about this more than we should. I think we make this a bigger deal, and we get stressed out, and, and here's why I think that. Because your family and your friends and your coworkers probably already know that you're a person involved in church. At some point, you've had a conversation and you've mentioned serving here or you've mentioned going to church on Sunday. And and so it's going to be no surprise to anyone in your life that you're a person of faith. And so when you want to live up to that responsibility that you have to share the good news, it doesn't have to be a stressful, big, crazy thing. You don't have to work yourself up about it. You probably don't need to find a soapbox and a street corner and uh, practice your shouting voice. Instead, I believe that you can start at home surrounded by the people that you know best because those are the people that God has called you to. In fact, I'm becoming more and more convinced that for the majority of us, now there are exceptions, missionaries called out on the mission field and maybe a time or two in your life when God has called you to speak to somebody you don't know, but, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that God has placed us in the lives of people around us who need to hear the good news. And that God is already working on their hearts and preparing them to hear that good news and that it's just our responsibility to step up and share with people we already know. I think a good way to start that conversation is to know the answer to this question. What has Jesus saved you from? What has Jesus saved you from? Because if the good news is really good, if God is really at work in your life, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, then something is different about you. Something has changed. God is at work in some way in your life. And so figure out your story. What has Jesus saved you from? Know you're good, know you're bad, know the in-between, know the answer to that question, and then in your everyday conversations, around the water cooler at work, in your school, with your family at home, just begin to work that story in and, and give credit where credit is due. And so if you're talking with a friend who's going through a difficult season of health, Maybe share the times when God has been faithful to you and and how you've seen him work and provide healing in your life. When you're talking to somebody who's experiencing a tough season in some other way, again, bring into the conversation the, the times when God's people have surrounded you and when the Holy Spirit has brought peace and comfort to your life. When you're around the water cooler at work and you're talking about vacation plans, share when maybe 
You know, you gave up a week of vacation to go serve at Rock Lake or to serve with one of our missionaries on the mission field. Know your story. Know the things that God has done for you and then share how God is working through you. Share what God has done and what you've seen. Maybe it's a a Saturday night and you're online and you're gaming with your friends and I've been there and there's always another session and another session and they want you to stay on for another round or another 10 minutes or another hour. Just let them know, hey, I got church tomorrow and I want to be the best version of me that I can to join with God's people. Know your story, know the why, and bring up faith in your daily conversation. It's as simple as that. What has Jesus saved you from that has significance, that has authenticity, and people are going to hear you out? I, I firmly believe that. Hey, God has given you good news. He's done incredible things in your life. Again, I don't want you to overthink this as, as you start to look for ways to work this into your conversation because, because I believe that you have a responsibility to share, not a, a, a responsibility to, sh- to, to convert. A responsibility to share, not a responsibility to convert. And, and here's what I mean by that. As you share your story, as, as you begin, begin to bring faith into your everyday conversation, not everyone is going to react like, you would want them to. Not everyone is going to hear your story with joy and gladness, and and they'll probably give you the time to hear your talk about Jesus, but they're not going to always agree with you, and that's okay. It calls to mind Paul's words to the church in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, in which he says this. I, he's talking about himself, Paul, planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered, but it was God who brought the growth. I believe that to be the case for us. We have a responsibility to share the good news, but we don't have a responsibility to convert. That's that's God's work in in others' lives. Hey, this week as you think about your story and about giving God the credit, and you think about the answer to that question, what has Jesus saved you from? I think another way to maybe ask that question, especially in light of the the story here, the demon-possessed man is, is what has Jesus tamed in you? What has Jesus tamed in you? Again, think about this, this demon-possessed man full of so many evil spirits that they, they called themselves legion, cut off from society and, and wandering around in pain and agony and now sitting at the feet of Jesus, calm in his right mind, experiencing the good news. Jesus had truly tamed something in him. What has Jesus tamed in you? The author C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian thinker, you've probably read a book or two of his, described his former life apart from Christ and how he began to reflect on it. And this is what he said about himself. For the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose. And there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, and a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. We all have a story, and I I believe that God has worked in your story and is continuing to do so. So know your story. Know what Jesus has tamed in you, and then just bring that up in your life, in your conversations. Disciples like you 
are sent with good news to share. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you as your people today. God, it's, it's been a hard week for many of us. We've seen the ways in which this world is, is twisted and broken, and God, it, it's in weeks like these that, that it's hard to remember the hope that we have in you, and yet, God, I pray that you would continue to draw our attention back to the ways in which you're restoring us and to the future and the hope that we have in Jesus. Father, I, I pray that you would remind us of the good news that we have and so that in our, our darkest days, God, we could see the light and be reminded of your work in our lives. Father, I pray that this week that we would all know the answer to that question of, of, of Jesus, what you've done in our lives. And I pray that we would be prepared to share it with those around us. That faith would just become part of our, our vocabulary and part of our conversation. And, and that we would be bold and that we would rely on you. So God, I thank you for the mission that you've given us and I pray that we would daily take steps to more fully live out that mission. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we get a chance now to, to respond to God. We do that a few ways here. Like we do every week, we, we respond in worship through singing and we respond and worship God through celebrating the Lord's Supper together and through giving back because God has been so generous to us and this morning, I'd encourage you, as we, share, as we share communion together, the communion is such a vivid reminder of the violence that Jesus suffered here on this earth. But it's also a reminder of the resurrection that he experienced that we all get to look forward to. And so let that be your prayer this morning as you, as you take that juice and that bread. Remembering Jesus' body and blood broken and poured out for you and also reminding, re remembering the hope that you have for the future. And I just want to say this. If there's anyone in this room who's yet to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, to experience that good news that, that so many of us have experienced, I, I'd encourage you, don't let another day go by. Let today be the day when you have that conversation. Myself or, or one of the leaders that we have around the, the room, Take that step towards obedience to God in baptism, being buried in death with Christ and raised alive to new life. Let that be your story today. Don't wait another day. Hey, people of God, would you stand and worship with us?